And we are in Mark chapter 4 this morning. Mark chapter number 4. And we've been running through the life of Christ. And we kind of went through the Gospels in a sort of unofficial series uh, in, during the sermons. So I wanted to do something a little different as we were studying the life of Christ uh, in this series. So we hit on uh, Christmas time. We talked a lot about the birth of Christ. We talked about the baptism of the Lord. We talked about the beginning of his earthly ministry. And from here, I wanted to kind of talk about... Um, the power of Christ because you have specific stories that talk about the very unique power that the Lord had really puts on display uh, some of the incredible powers that he had during his earthly ministry here on earth uh, some of that it's, it's a bit mysterious to us right because we don't know which part of that is just his godhood you know, uh, how much of that is him being uh, in his man, in his uh, power as man. And so we, we want to dive into that a little bit. We want to look at what he was capable of, what sort of authority he had, and just really how amazing he was even as a man in the flesh, in his limited, uh, chosen, limited ability. Uh, Hebrews tells us that he was made a little lower than the angels. That's talking about rank. So he was um, part of the Trinity. So highest authority in the land, in all of heaven. And now, in the heavenly rank, he's the same rank as us while he's on the earth. Before he resurrected and everything. So while he's uh, on the earth during his ministry, he's made a little lower than the angels. Which is where we are, We in our rank ranked just below the angels as far as the spiritual authority goes. So we're going to look at a few stories that really display the power of Christ. And the first thing we want to look at uh, is the power of Christ over nature. And really when you think about it, this is amazing. His power over nature. Uh, and the first story we're going to look at is when Jesus calmed the storm. Now, these are all going to be stories you've read before, but we're going to draw a different perspective from it. Right? We're going to look at it from an angle that you haven't looked at it before. We're just mostly focusing on the power of Christ over nature and really what that means for us. Um, so, Mark chapter 4, we're going to start reading in verse 35. Uh, okay, and it says, In the same day, when the even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. Now, we know this story, right? Jesus calms the storm. Uh, so we know what happens, right? Somebody tell me, what happens? He calms the storm, and then he walks on the water? No, walking on the water is a different one, but we are going to talk about that today. Alright. What else did he do? Or what, what, what happened in this story? You were you were nearing. I mean, it's it's basically in the title. They like freak so you out. Were, they go back to him and say we're about to die. Yes. He's like, why are you freaking out? And then he comes out and he's right. like, hey, calm down. So yeah. So there is a storm, right? They're they're crossing and they're fine, and all of a sudden storm hits, and they're panicking, they're freaking out, and they go back to Jesus. And so I wanted to point this phrase out. He says, "Let us pass over unto the other side." 
Now, it, it's important to point that out because what it means is that Jesus is telling them, we're going to get to the other side, right? And right before you embark on a journey, when there's clear skies out and everything looks like it's going to be fine, it's not really a big deal, right? Well, yeah, of course we're going to get to the other side. Why else would we make this journey? But when the storm hits, that phrase is a big deal, right? Because they're scared they might not make it to the other side. But before they ever took off, Jesus said, let us pass over unto the other side. Right, so Jesus is kind of making them a promise here before they even begin their journey. And you know what the thing is? It's easy to forget that when God makes a promise, He keeps it. And it's easy to forget those promises exist when you're in the middle of the storm. Right, because when life kind of turns sideways and things hit the fan and you don't expect it, it's easy to panic and it's easy to, to, to try to, to piece something together and, and be scared and worried that this is it, that nothing's ever going to happen for you, that nothing's ever going to get better, nothing's ever going to get fixed. It's easy to have that worry. Uh, but And it's also easy to forget that before everything went wrong, God made you some promises. And it's important for us to remember those promises that God made us. He told the disciples they would travel to the other side, but in the midst of the storm, they forgot. It's an important skill to be able to remember God's promises in the midst of the storms of life. Uh, God said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And while you're sitting in these chairs and you're sipping your coffee and you're, you've got your, your notes in your hand, your Bible in your lap, and things are fine, it's easy to, to breeze right past that thought, right? But when you're doing your best during the week and you're trying really hard, uh, whether it be in your relationships or whether it be in your job or whether it be uh, with a friend, uh, whether it be financial, whether it be with your children, whatever you're struggling with, Sometimes it might even be mentally. But whatever it is that you're struggling with, it's easy to forget that God promised us that when we're going through those things. He promised, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Even when the rest of the world just wants to get you out of their way. You know, even when the rest of the world just wants to, uh, to deal with you, get you the way they want you, and then forget you exist. God says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. When things turn sideways at work, at home, wherever they turn sideways, God will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He's always at the back of that boat. And it's something we know. We've learned it, right? It's in, it's in here somewhere. But in the middle of that storm, it's easy to forget. He says, unto the other side. And that's a much bigger deal than you realize. He also, it also says, as we continue on, it says, when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. Anybody who's ever played the game Sea of Thieves know what it's like when the ship starts to fill up with water, right? There are some really hilarious videos of that online. I absolutely love. You got to make sure to watch out for that language, though. But some of them are hilarious. As the ship is filling up with water, you're trying to fix the holes, and, it's, and eventually, if you don't fix it in time, it'll just sink into the water. And you're trying to get the chests and keep them afloat while the team re, you know, resets and tries to bring another boat back, and it's funny. Um, but in real, yeah, 
But in real life, that's terrifying. Uh, you know, so in real life, these were real people on a real ship with water filling the boat. And they thought, I'm about to die. There arose a great storm of winds. Isn't it ironic? Did you ever stop to think about that? Isn't it ironic that this storm arose just as the disciples and Jesus were crossing? That seems like awfully bad timing to me. Clear skies. Man, there wasn't anything around. They couldn't see anything. And then just out of nowhere, a storm. Right where they are. Right when they cross. There is no doubt in my mind personally that Jesus was not only able to calm the wind and the sea, but he was also capable of stirring them up. Right? This wasn't just Jesus calming the storm. This was also Jesus causing the storm. He brought the storm to them to begin with. They'd say, well, can God really do that? Well, I'd take you to exhibit A, Jonah. Going the wrong way on a ship, what did God do? Sent a storm his way. Wouldn't go away until he got swallowed by a whale. You'd say, well, Jonah says, technically, pastor, the book of Jonah says a great fish. Yes, and then Jesus said a whale. You can sit down now. <sighs> that guy. But he, he does. He really does. It's all those, uh, those poindexters you meet over the years that think they're going to one-up you on something? <laughs> actually, pastor, actually, preacher, let me correct you. Oof, I hate that guy. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the storm, no doubt in my mind, came from Jesus. And, you know, it's so true, too, that sometimes God will stir up a storm in our life just so that we can watch him calm it. That was the whole purpose of this whole thing. He brought the storm so that he could calm it in front of the disciples. So that he could show them, this is my power. I am master of the wind and the seas. You know, God will bring a storm into your life. Sometimes when things don't go well, God allowed that or even sent it into your life. And you may not understand it at first. Uh, there was a tragedy that struck my wife very early in her life. And because of that tragedy, she was forced to move from where they were living in Denton at the time to Justin. This horrible thing that should never happen to anybody happened to her and it forced her to move from Denton to Justin where she enrolled in a church school, Bible Baptist Church, where she met uh, Andy, who would go on to be her best friend, where she enrolled in my cousin Tiffany's dance class, where she met me, her husband, her future husband. She was dating another guy at the time, but I took care of that. Uh, <laughs> How you doing, Eric? Uh, Josh knows what I'm talking about. It's good. There's, no, there's another guy in this situation. You just you just take care of that, yeah. right, Josh? Yeah. yeah. 
and, uh, I didn't even know. Yeah, yeah. But then uh, two beautiful kids, uh, a wonderful marriage later, would have never happened if that tragedy hadn't happened in her life. Whatever you're going through right now, you don't seem to understand why. It's because God is leading you somewhere. And it may take you a while to get there. It may take you longer than you want it to be. And it may be frustrating because it's not the plan you had for yourself. But once you get there, then you'll understand. Right? Uh, This was not the plan for me myself. And I've told you that many times. My plan was to graduate Bible college and pastor a church somewhere. Take over a church for somebody who's retiring. Let me tell you, uh, that did not turn out the way I wanted it to. Right? So I thought, okay, well, I'll do this. And I'll go and try and do that. And uh, nope, that didn't work out either. And I'd come over here and I'd try to do this with this guy. Nope, that didn't work either. So uh, the Lord sort of forced me into this situation. And it was the best thing that could have happened to me. All those setbacks and failures. Uh, uh, having to leave from one church to the next to the next having to move from one job to the next to the next the best thing could happen to me because it led me right here and so sometimes God will send a great storm in our life just so we can watch him calm it Uh, notice it also says as the story continues he was in verse 38 the hinder part of the ship asleep on a pillow and they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Uh, usually we look at that phrase, Master, carest not that we perish. I want to look at the phrase, asleep on a pillow. Right? Because we're looking at this from a different angle. We're looking at this from Jesus and his power. And I don't know if you've ever been on a boat before, but uh, you ever heard the phrase, getting your sea legs? It takes some time to get used to being on a boat. Right? Because there is some rocking. And if there's a storm, it's even worse. There are some people who just get seasick by nature and they have to take a special pill if they're going to be on a boat for too long. Jesus was in a horrific storm. The boat was taking on water. And he was asleep with his pillow in the back, no problem. That's the power I want. (laughs) Right? I don't have to be able to calm the storm. I don't have to be able to calm the winds. If I can sleep through something like that without losing my pillow, that's the power I want. Jesus was so unconcerned with the storm and the waves that he was sleeping peacefully on the back of the boat because the Lord was always in control of the situation. Right? And that's the takeaway. Because we realize when a situation turns sideways, we've lost control of the situation. Right? When something goes bad, you've lost control. That's not what you wanted to happen. And what do we do? We scramble to grab control of the situation again. But you know why Jesus never panicked even when Peter did? Because Jesus was never out of control. Jesus was never not in control. Following the leadership of someone that doesn't panic can be a great comfort to you when you're scared and not sure what to do. I was watching this movie uh, at Sylvia and David's, and for the life of me, I'm not going to be able to remember what it was. was, I want to say it was an older movie, uh, but it was about this ship, this crew, 
Um, they might have been in a submarine. It's been a while. Uh, but uh, the captain had gotten killed or thrown overboard or something, and uh, this new guy had to be captain, right? And it was about him sort of learning to be captain and the ship surviving to make it back to the States and so forth. But there's this one scene where he's newly in charge, right? Never been in charge before. And uh, they're asking what to do. Where do they go? What, what orders do we... And he says, I don't know to the crew. And uh, all of a sudden, things break out crazy. And uh, his first mate, the newly appointed first mate, drags him aside. And he says, don't ever say that again. Those three words will kill a crew. Because you're the skipper, and the skipper always knows what to do. Whether right or wrong, the skipper always knows what to do. And that stuck with me. You know, it makes me think about the Lord. We don't ever have to worry about what's going to happen, what do we do, what's going to go on next, because our skipper always knows what to do. He's always in control. That's why he's asleep on the boat. It was his storm. He's the one that brought it. He was never out of control of the situation. When we follow Jesus, we follow a leader of that very caliber. The Lord always knows what to do and is always in control. And then we know how the story goes. Uh, verse 39, He arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Any of those 12 disciples could have done the same thing. But nothing would have happened. They could have gone to the front of that boat. They could have looked up to the sky and talked to it. They could have looked down to the ocean and told it to knock it off. And nothing would have happened. You try it sometime. You go out there in the midst of a really bad storm some sort of really bad lightning storm and you look up in the sky and you say knock it off see what it does it will do nothing even if you say knock it off in the name of Jesus it's not going to do anything because that's not how it works only Jesus has the power over the wind and over the sea imagine the power of a person that has the rule over the very winds and the oceans themselves. Somebody who can control not what's in the ocean, but the very ocean itself. We see so very little of the power that Jesus possesses throughout his time in the, in the New Testament. We're going to talk about a little bit, and when we get to the doctrine of last things, a greater display of his power on the earth. But he's capable of so many amazing, incredible things. But we never get to see any of that, because all he does is show what needs to be shown, and no more. Right? He's not out here showing off. He's out here, believe me, if he wanted to show off, he could have done a lot more than this. He could have removed the oceans entirely. You know, if that's what he wanted to do. But he's trying to show them. Have faith. Right? Even in the middle of a scary storm, have faith. Don't be afraid. I know what I'm doing. 
have faith, right? And that's what faith is. It's learning not to be scared when the storm hits. It's learning to trust that things are going to work out the way that they're supposed to, and we just need to trust the Lord to bring us to the place He wants us to be. That's the matter of faith. Do you trust Jesus to bring you to a better place or not? That is the question of faith. Because after it's done, he says, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? That was the point of the whole thing. That's what he wanted them to see, is how very little faith they actually did have. Jesus, we're going to perish. And when the whole thing's said and done, you realize Jesus was never going to actually let us perish. But it's an afterthought, right? What Jesus wants them to learn is to have that thought during the storm. Right? Because he has incredible power, power over nature. Uh, let's turn over to Mark 6 now. And this is the story of Jesus walking on water that Josh mentioned earlier. Mark chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 45. Let's see. Okay. It says, And straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before unto Bethsaida while he sent the people away. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea and he alone on the land. Right? So here we have an obstacle. Right? He wants or needs to get to his disciples. Problem is, there's kind of an ocean in the way. There's kind of not an ocean, but there's kind of a, a large body of water in the way, like a lake. That would be quite the, the obstacle for any of us. You know, they say if you live long enough, you'll find that, uh, or that anytime you find something worth pursuing, the devil will th throw something at you. He'll throw trouble your way. He'll throw an obstacle your way. Here Jesus needed to get to his disciples, but the problem was that there was a sea between him and them, which you granted is quite the obstacle. Ephesians 6.16, however, teaches us, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. The Bible here is teaching us that there is no arrow in Satan's quiver that cannot be deflected with faith. There is nothing the devil can throw at you that you cannot shield yourself against with faith. Faith is the ultimate defense. It is an impenetrable force so long as we use it. But when we don't use it, we're easily wounded. The devil's a good mark. He knows where your armor's weak at, and he knows to hit you there. He's an excellent marksman. But if we have our shield of faith, we have no weak spots. Life, the devil, are going to throw things at us. And when they do, we have to hang on to our faith. Uh, it says, as we continue on in our story, uh, he saw them toiling in rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. 
And about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh to them walking upon the sea and would have passed by them. So we want to look at this phrase, the wind was contrary unto them. Jesus, as we said before, has power over the wind. So it's likely that this wind was of the Lord as well. Right? They're rowing against the wind. A wind most likely sent by the Lord. Why would God send a contrary wind to his disciples? Because struggling makes us stronger. You think about the people in your life that you know that have had the hardest struggles. Are they not the strongest people you know? Right? When trouble hits them, they don't fall to pieces. Right? They stay strong. They figure out what to do. They come up with a plan. They do something. They're strong people. Right? And it's those struggles that they've come through in the past that make them strong. God will sometimes send struggles your way to make you strong. You know, my time at Bible Baptist, Pastor Nolan Partridge and many of the men there were very mean to me. I, I found out later that was intentional. They were, they were trying to do something for me. Whether that was right or wrong of them, I'll let the Lord decide one day. But the fact remains that they went out of their way to make me miserable the time I was there, evidently on purpose. And I, I, I had resentment, as you would, over something like that. And over time, uh, I began working in other ministries and I found other men in the same positions or even pastors of churches when things would go wrong would just completely fall to pieces. Just completely fall apart the second somebody uh, said they didn't like their preaching or the second somebody came up and sort of gave a passive aggressive insult to them. You know, I like how brave you are for saying something that nobody really wants to listen to, Pastor. You know, something like that. And they, every time something like that would happen or they'd hear through the grapevine that somebody didn't like them, they would just fall to pieces. I remember thinking, what is their deal? Why do they care so much about being insulted like that? And I realized that all my time of struggling at Bible Baptist and being insulted and you know, having to go through all of that, it made me stronger. Right? And I'm sure each of you has a story of something that you've gone through, some sort of trial or difficulty that you've had to overcome. And if you think about it, it was those trials that made you stronger. Because struggling makes us stronger. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 6 says, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Uh, it used to be that as a warrior came home victorious from battle, he was able to revel in his tremendous uh, victories. And that was his glory. He would sit around the banquet table and he would tell his stories of triumph on the battlefield. All the enemies he defeated uh, in battle. And he had much glory, they would say, in those things. And that's what the Bible's saying here. Same principle. We have enemies. We fight here on the earth. Don't think they're lesser because you can't see them with your eyes or hear them with your ears. They're enemies and they're fierce, no less. 
And when the Lord returns, it is our great victories over those enemies, over the trials of our faith, that will give us glory in the banquet of the marriage supper of the Lamb. The, the struggling against the wind leads to praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. He wanted them to feel the struggle of rowing against the wind before showing them how effortless it was for him. Because that's another reason. Not only does it make us stronger, but also it, it just... Have you ever done something and it... it was so hard for you to do and it took you so long to do and then you looked up and saw somebody else doing the exact same thing like that super easy uh, me personally I'm a gamer right I, I like to play video games there's a certain kind of game I'm good at there's a certain kind of game I'm not good at right and uh, first-person shooters are the ones that I'm not good at I'm just not good at that so I'll be playing a game and you know you're supposed to be shooting something or I'll try to snipe it out and man that's hard for me it takes me forever I can't aim right the things darting back and forth I'm just not good at it and it take me forever to finally beat a level or a boss or whatever it is and then uh, Josh will come in he'll be like oh cool did he bang and he's done and I'm like, <sighs> but also secretly, don't tell Josh, but that's kind of amazing. <laughs> like, and I'll go, how did you do that? And he won't tell me to this day. I think because he knows that we're going to be fighting each other at some point. So he won't give away his secrets. But that's amazing that he can do that. Right. And it's kind of the same way with the Lord. Right. As we're struggling against, they're struggling against the wind and they see Jesus walking on the water like, oh, hey, guys, what's up? And he keeps walking. That's amazing that he can do that. Right. That's incredible. In the same way with life, the things that we struggle against so hard are so easy for the Lord. And he wants us to learn that. Uh, notice the phrase would have passed by them. The tremendous struggle of getting to the other shore was an incredibly difficult struggle but Jesus had no more than a nice stroll with a cool breeze walking across the water as the master and this is the thing that scientifically blows me out of the water because this is what happens scientifically as a matter as master of the sea Jesus had the authority to command the water molecules to behave in a way that they normally wouldn't and support his weight across the entire length of the water it did not say he was running across the sea and some people like to talk about those lizards that uh, that have enough, um, I forget what the word is, but surface tension. Surface tension. Because their legs and their, their like toes, they, they're so small and they run so fast on the water that they don't even break the surface of the water as they run. Uh, because of the way that their body weight and everything goes as they run. And it's not a matter of defying the physics of the water, it's a matter of working with it. And they are exactly. running on the water. Jesus wasn't running on the water. Jesus was walking on the water. And you'll see some people, like, they have those fake videos online of people sort of running on the surface of the water, pretending like if you go fast enough, you can just run on water uh, like that. And those are all fake videos, and they've been proven to be fake. Uh, but again, he wasn't running. He broke no surface. There was no splash, right? He was walking on the water like I'm walking on the carpet right now. That's what makes it truly amazing. He commanded the very elements of the world to behave in a way that they're not supposed to. 
right? Water is fluid. That's the very nature of water, right? It, it goes as it's led uh, based on what happens around it. But Jesus commanded that the water was to support his weight as he walked. That is the power that the Lord has. So the question then becomes, how much more difficult was their trip when they set sail without the Lord? Right? That was sort of the lesson of it. Jesus isn't in the boat, and they're working hard. Uh, but also something really kind of funny happens. Uh, when they saw him, in verse 49, walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit. Little s, spirit, and cried out. Somebody call Scooby-Doo. Uh, because he'd be able to tell them, like in all of their episodes, no such thing as ghosts. It's either a guy in a rubber mask, you know, or it's Jesus walking on the water. Uh, but it's, it's funny to me because fear, like all emotions, is not evil in nature. It can, however, make us do things that we shouldn't do. Uh, it can make us forget things that we already know to be true. Uh, a dark night at sea, a howling wind, and the raging sea under your feet can brew fear in the heart of even the most hardy sailors. And on that night, these disciples were no different. When they saw a person walking upon the water, their first thought was a ghost. Even though they knew that ghosts aren't real. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7 says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. That is what drives out fear. Power of God, power of Christ, faith can drive out fear. Love can drive out fear. And also a sound mind. Being reasonable, being logical. Thinking things through. You know, if you ever do this thing where you go, I know, but I just don't feel like that's what I want to do. Like, I know I should, but my emotions tell me that's not what I want to do. Don't listen to your emotions. They can be liars, right? Sound mind drives out fear. Can drive out us doing things that we shouldn't do. This is how we fight against fear and, and losing things that the Lord has given us. So be careful that your fear doesn't drive the Lord out of your mind, like it did with the disciples. But notice also his immediate response to the disciples. It says, immediately he talked with them, uh, there in verse 50, uh, for they all saw him and were troubled, and immediately he talked with them and said unto them, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. Many of us would have been, oh, I lost my place, many of us would have been frustrated with the disciples. But Jesus felt sorry for them. They ought to have known that it wasn't a ghost, and they ought to have kept their fear in check. 
But instead, they just lost it. They completely freaked out, and, and many of us, being Jesus, would have got frustrated. Can you imagine trying to teach somebody something over and over and over and over and over again, and maybe you think you're kind of making headway, and they do the very thing that you've been trying to teach them about that whole time? That's so frustrating, right? If you ever work with kids, you kind of know what I'm talking about. How many times you got to tell that kid to stay in his chair? I'm not naming anybody specific, Landon. But how many times I got to tell one kid to stay in his chair? You know? And you got to be patient. You got to smile. You got to be kind. Little boy, sit in your chair or I'm going to knock you across the room. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then you got that meeting with the pastor. No, you can't tell kids you're going to knock them across the room. Parents don't like that. Yada, yada. Is this thing on? Hello? Okay. You can hear me? Okay. You know that doesn't project sound out though, right? Oh, so you can't hear me. I mean, I can. You're killing me, Smalls. Sorry. <sighs> but while we would have been frustrated by some that we try to drive a point home to week after week after week to no avail, no. Jesus has a lot more patience than most of us. And he had a great desire to comfort them rather than get frustrated with them. And he has a great desire to comfort us. 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. There is no fear in love. And Jesus wants to comfort us, wants us to feel his love, feel comforted, and to drive our fears away from us. And notice also it said, uh, verse 51 says, And he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased. Did you notice that? When Jesus got into the boat, because this is the part usually we stop about there uh, in the children's Sunday school class. But if we continue reading, we read that he didn't walk to the shore. He walked to the boat. Right? His goal wasn't to get to the destination. His goal was to get to the disciples. That's why he was walking on the water. And once he got to the boat, he got in the boat. Do you realize the, 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 the kind of... Like, he didn't need to get in the boat. He was walking on water. He didn't need to get in the boat. But he got in the boat. Why would he do that? For the disciples. Right? He doesn't need them to go buy him food. He's capable of just let there be food. And there it is. Why does he have them go get it? It's for them. Right? He got in the boat because as soon as Jesus got into the boat, the wind ceased. Their troubles were gone the instant Jesus got in the boat. Jesus didn't even have to tell the wind to stop blowing this time. All he had to do was think it. Once Jesus was in the boat, it was smooth sailing. We're about out of time uh, this morning. So next week, 
uh, we're going to talk about the cursed fig tree and uh, fishers of men. I don't know how long that lesson's going to be, so it, it might be a short Sunday school lesson next week, but we'll see how it goes. But as we're closing, I wanted to quote this uh, poem to you. It's entitled, I Met God in the Morning uh, by Ralph Cushman. I met God in the morning when my day was at its best, and his presence came like sunrise and glory filled my breast. All day long his presence lingered. All day long he stayed with me, and we sailed in perfect calmness over a very troubled sea. Other ships were blown and battered, other ships were sore distressed, but the wind that seemed to drive them brought to me a peace and rest. Then I thought of other mornings with a keen remorse of mind, when I too had loosed the moorings with his presence left behind. So I think I know the secret, learned from many a troubled way. You must seek him in the morning if you want him through the day. When we set sail with the Lord, it's smooth sailing. That is our Sunday School lesson for this morning. Thank everybody who's here. I want to thank everybody joining us on Facebook Live. We will be back at 11 o'clock for our Sunday morning service.